This morning's reading is from Acts 1, verses 8 to 11. That's Acts 1, verses 8 to 11. That's page 1092 in your church Bibles. 1092. Jesus is speaking. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him going into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Helen. So, Mike, would you like to come forward? So, before Mike comes to talk to us, I, I just like to ask him just a, a little bit of background about how he uh, came to uh, uh, do two trips uh, on Mercy ships, uh, and I gather both were on the Africa Mercy. Uh, some people may not have heard about Mercy Ship, so I was wondering if you could briefly uh, give a little bit of background about what Mercy Ships does uh, and where the ships are now. Okay, thanks very much. Um, the ships at the moment are in Senegal. They're both in Senegal and they're bow to bow, touching bow to bow. And uh, the Africa Mercy is still just the hospital. The Global Mercy at the moment is not quite fitted out, finished. She's actually a training ship. She'll be going back for fitting out later. But my, uh, the way that I happened to get involved with Mercy Ships was through a Christian Resources exhibition. God bless them. And it was in Exeter, because I'm from, up from Cornwall. And uh, I popped in to have a look around, and I was standing at the Mercy Ship stand just looking at a really great photograph that someone had taken with a drone of the ship at sea pointing up to the main mast, and all the signal flags were flying. And being an ex-Royal Navy signalman, I wanted to see if I could still remember all the flags. So I'm standing there, and a nurse that was on the stand, who's a very good friend now, said to me, thinking of joining us. That's all she said. And I said, I have nothing to offer mercy ships at all. Not a thing. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a... No, 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 she said. What do you do? And I just said to her that I am a, a retired leadership and management trainer for Devon and Cornwall Police. What good can I be for you? So she said, you can become one of our UK volunteers. So I said, well, doing what? She's standing up in front of people and telling them all about mercy ships. So to cut a very long story short, I learnt about Mercy Ships. I had the DVDs, I had the paperwork, I learnt it pat, and I started to give um, talks on Mercy Ships. And then one day, I honestly and truthfully heard an audible go. It was that loud. 
And I looked around and thought it was someone in the audience. And I said to my wife, I, I think I'm actually being led to go on board instead of just talking about it, see it. And so I did. And, and I just said to God, if it's not meant to be, you make it not work. Wrong thing to say, really, because everything re really smoothly. And I got through. I had all the jabs uh, and everything that was needed. And I went to, to the Congo as a chef. <laughs> and uh, it was the hardest three months I've ever done. You're in the equator and it's hot and then you're in a galley as well. And I will tell you the stories as the talk goes on. And then I thought, that's it. It's out of my system. I've done it. Don't need. So I came back, did more talks now with an extra vigor because I'd been on board. And then a couple of years later, do you know what? I heard that go again. And so I applied again and went back on board in, in Guinea a couple of years ago. And just to let you know, I heard the go again two weeks ago and have just applied to go back next year. So that's my sort of potted history. So is there at this point anything that we can particularly pray for? I think at the moment, um, and again, you'll hear me say it a bit later, now with two ships, that's over double the volunteers. Africa Mercy has 450 crew. The Global Mercy, and Debbie's done more than I have, I've only seen it in photographs. She's <laughs> I'm hoping to go in October. The Global Mercy has got 950 crew. So when the two ships come online together, we'll, we'll be a little while yet, we'll be looking for one and a half thousand volunteers to crew both ships. And if you want to volunteer, I'll be standing over the table later to sign you up. And I'll tell you all the jobs there are and how long you can stay for. And it's mainly, at the moment, it'll be volunteers that we can actually give these people that live in some of the poorest countries in the world the hope and healing that Mercy Ships focuses on. Thank you. So Mike, as he said, we'll be staying after the service. Um, so after you've uh, taken uh, some tea and coffee and cake, please do uh, take uh, the opportunity just to find out a little bit more about Mercy Ships. And if you hear the God saying go. Yes, absolutely. Hope you do. Um, well, good morning, everybody. And thank you very much for inviting me here. I've come all the way from Cornwall for this. No, that's a fib really. I was staying with friends in Leon Solent when this talk came up and I said to headquarters, if you can't find anybody, I'll have a drive around and do it. So my wife and her friend have gone off to church and I've come around to talk to you lovely people because I love talking about mercy ships. So we've, we've had the reading this morning and what, what I would say to that is that if you were seeing somebody for the very last time and you were never going to see them again, the last words they say to you are going to be those words that are going to impress you the most, hopefully. And these were the last words that Jesus said to his disciples. He had a plan. This was his plan. And the plan was, one, I will give you through the Holy Spirit, that give you power. Two, this will give you the power to be my witnesses. Three, and here is where you will witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That was his battle plan. Firstly, they were to witness in their immediate circle, South Sea. 
your families, standing at the bus stop, in the coffee shop, talking about God and, and Jesus and what he's done for you. Secondly, they're to go outside of that circle and witness to people in the surrounding areas. Portsmouth, Leon Solent, Gosport, Fareham, and anywhere else I can think that's nearby. And thirdly, we are to be witnesses to the very ends of the earth. And this is what these people are doing. They're being witnesses on board mercy ships to the very ends of the earth. These nurses and doctors and everybody that works on board are there for the love of God to spread the word and the love to the people that need it. So, the battle plan hasn't changed in the last 2,000 years. And it's still our aim and call to arm the people and the hope for mission. One is to witness to those in our inner circle, as I said. Witness to those outside our circle, but to the ends of the earth. This last group is what missions is all about to the ends of the earth. The first two kinds of witnessing we can do, we should do. The Lord has told us that we should do it. He says in Luke 8, verse 12, you acknowledge me publicly and in heaven I will acknowledge you in front of the angels of God. So that's what we should be doing in our daily lives. But we have missions because that way we can support full-time workers who bring people to Christ in areas who we may never, ever get to. Every person on board our two hospital ships, Africa Mercy and Global Mercy, are doing just that. Whether they be a doctor, a dentist, a nurse, a cook, a housekeeper a cleaner, a receptionist, a shop assistant, engineer, HR specialist, whatever it is, they are doing that as their role on board and they're there because they want to witness to the love of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Those of you that have never seen the new Global Mercy, that was her just then. And this is the ship that I've served on twice. That's the... Glo- that's <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm much better when I got the thing myself, you know. Uh, this is the Africa Mercy. Uh, just a little, little bit of potted history about her. Very quickly, she is an ex-Danish rail ferry. Um, the, glo- uh, the Mercy Ships organisation bought her, and there's a long story as to why they bought her, and refitted her out in 1978. And if you should ever get close to her, just where the M is, or just before the M of Mercy on the bow, you can see where they've welded the bow up, because it was a roll-on, roll-off. And uh, she just isn't big enough at the moment to do what we need to do. When the ship turns up in any port, we have to ask the powers that be to provide us with a building that we will renovate, Again, we renovate for them that we can use as the hope centre. This is our post and pre-op, especially with the youngsters that have the orthopaedic uh, things. And also a dentistry. We haven't got those two on board and we haven't got a pre-op place for people coming 
uh, on to have their operations, and that's normally done in a big tent on the jetty. So at the moment, the Africa Mercy is in Senegal being the hospital, and the Global Mercy that you saw before has got all those things that I mentioned that we needed the countries to give us. That, that has got that on board. So I'm here as a representative of Mercy Ships, and when people arrive to serve on board as missionaries, they are met with a sign on the reception desk wall stating, Mercy Ships follows the 2,000-year-old model of Jesus bringing hope and healing to the world's forgotten poor. And that's pressed in a brass plaque, and it's screwed on the wall, and it's the first thing you see when you arrive. When I arrived in the Congo, I'd ever, only ever seen Mercy Ships as a picture, and I've been talking about her and all sorts of things. And I'm standing there getting my passes, and this is right in front of me. And that moment in time, I knew I was a missionary. I was only a cook. I was only on board as a cook. And let me give you an example of that. And an example of that was, it was really hot. Don't, ever, don't let me put you off if you want to go as a cook on board. The Global Mercy's brilliant. Their galley's brilliant. But on the Africa Mercy, it was hard work, especially for someone my age. And I felt really down. I'd been there maybe six weeks. I still had another six weeks to go. And I thought, this is all wrong. I shouldn't be here. I'm too old for this. And I was really, oh, woe is me. You know, this is my problem. So I got to get out the galley, went out the galley, went to the reception and stood in front of this plaque and, and read this, Mercy Ships Follows the 2,000-Year-Old Model of Jesus Christ. And my shoulders must have been down because a nurse who I'd only ever just walked past and smiled and said hello to, come from Holland, touched me on the shoulder and went, are you okay? Oh, by the way, English is the first language on board, so that's another barrier you haven't got to worry about. And uh, I said, oh, I said, it's, it's no good for me. I said, it's all right for you guys. In other words, it's all right for you heroes, the doctors, the nurses, anaesthetists, all who look after the patients, who cure the patients. You know, you're the ones that are doing the work of the missionary. And all she said to me was, okay then, close the galley down. And that's exactly what happened, all that silence. And then I thought, yeah, close the galley down. No one eats. The crew doesn't eat. The patients don't eat. The doctors, the nurses, and everybody else don't eat. And it made me realize then that everybody on board, whether you're cleaning handrails or you're performing major operations, you are there for the same reason. And it is to bring that 2,000-year-old model of Jesus Christ to bring hope and healing to the forgotten poor of the world. I am, and I'm sure thousands of others who had served on mercy ships over the years, read that and knew at that point that we were taking part in the Lord's great commission. His last words to us while he was here on earth. And I would go back tomorrow. In fact, I hopefully am going back in April. I think I've got one more adventure in me and I'm 70. So there's no age, so that's another barrier that I've taken out people. Right. And so I've got 10 months to raise the funds because everybody on board is a volunteer, a pure volunteer. They pay their own flights to where the ship is to serve three, whatever it might be, and their board and lodging whilst on board. 
Sometimes, like Paul, early missionaries supported themselves with something that we now call tent making, essentially working at a trade so that they could afford to go freely and spread the gospel anywhere. And with Paul, he did that and made tents on the side. Other early missionaries were supported by local churches. Their job was to go and start new congregations. And, and you've got someone from the, this congregation that's done a church plant. Is that, is that right? Yeah. They train workers to keep the new church going and then move on to the next community. I belong to a church plant because the church that we were in, people were queuing up at the door and they couldn't get a seat. So we were asked nicely, could we go over into Cornwall and start a church over there? So, so we did. So those who serve on mercy ships are no different. All on board must fund themselves and are supported by their home churches, which includes travel to the ship and boarding and lodging. And this is what these guys do. You know, they're using their skills that they have got. They're all engineers. If you pick up a leaflet in a moment, there's a young lady that you will see on there with ear defenders sort of stuck up here. And that's Denise. Denise was one of my students while I was in Guinea, and she was one of our onboarders, and I was teaching her and her colleagues leadership and management. But at one point, she was the only electrician on board. She came from the Cameroon. Lovely girl, lovely girl. So let me explain a little bit about Mercy Ships. Africa Mercy's crew, as I mentioned, is 450. Global Mercies is 950, so in total that's 1,400, no, and never any good at maths. And all volunteers, as I say, pay their own way there. We have 40 offices around the world. South Korea, Belgium, Austria, Switzerland, and that well-known port here in the UK of Stevenage is the headquarters for Mercy Ships. Someone did tell me once why it was Steve. I can't remember what it was. Crew come and go for different periods. So the ship stays in one place for 10 months, crew come and go. It, that can be for three months, 10 months, two years. And one lady, when I served on board in Guinea, had been there for 17 years on board. And when I went back, no, sorry, the other way around, in the Congo, when I went back in Guinea... She was still on board, doing the same job. That was her love, that was her giving. On board, many of us work a normal working day, as we would do anywhere else. For me as a cook, on my first visit to the Congo, and then staff development facilitator, there's a change for you, isn't it, really, uh, when I was in Guinea, but that's what my degree is in. And they needed a staff development trainer for the staff, hence why I, I got to know Denise. On our days off, though, we would also carry on helping around things with the ship. In, um, in the Congo, um, I would do security or crowd control, for a better term, because eye screening had to be done around the city in different locations. And people who had eye issues would queue up in those places for the ophthalmologist we would take in Land Rovers to see if they, we could help them on board, mainly cataracts or pterygiums. Um, if you don't know what pterygiums is, it's the skin that grows that way across the eye. Um, seen more in Africa, I think. And there'll be hundreds there each morning. Four, five, six hundred people queuing up in the hope that we can help them get their sight back. Um, and so we would do that on our days off as well, along with the dental 
thing, which was, was the same sort of thing. But with the arrival of global mercy, that's slightly changed because the facilities are, are better on board. Now, I told a story earlier on. I, I, I think I, you have to hear a patient's story. Now, I don't know if I've got time to tell the Sambonet one yet. Sambonet, I'll try and rattle through quickly. A few years ago, Mercy ships had to go to Madagascar. We couldn't go to West Africa because of Ebola. We were due to go to Benin, but Benin was the place where Ebola started. So the ship was all set up, ready to go, and so they went to Madagascar. And they were in this capital city of Madagascar, and what normally happens, the ship arrives, it unstraps everything, cleans down, and then they have um, uh, screening days. And it's advertised around the town and the city about screening days uh, on the radio, in newspapers. If you have any of these symptoms or these uh, things wrong with you, we can't do brain or heart or anything like that. And they queue up. The queue on the first day in Guinea was 6,500 people all queuing up. And the screening days are four days. But anyway, that would have happened in Madagascar. Now, living smack bang in the middle of Madagascar in the jungle was a man called Sambonet. Now, Sambonet, if, if I was to show you the pictures, you would take a sharp intake of breath, had a tumour on the sides of his neck that was this big. It was down here and out here, and it was slowly choking him. And he heard on his little transistor radio that Africa Mercy, or Mercy Ships, was in the capital city, and he knew that that was his only hope. Now, we didn't see him on screening day because he didn't get there. So he sold a field, a rice field that he owned to someone, and two friends walked him through the jungle for two days until he hit the road that went north-south up the island. They left him there, and the money that he, he'd raised, he got on a bus or a taxi and got to the, to the ship. He got to the jetty, and a nurse was on the jetty, and she saw the need that he was in and took him straight on board. And the doctors looked at him. Remember, we didn't know Sambonet before then because he wasn't at the screening. And they weren't sure. The CMO and the doctors were not sure they could perform this operation because those of you that are medical will know in this part of the neck, there's lots of veins and, and, and arteries and things. But what they did, they prayed about it. All of the surgeons prayed about it, literally half a day. And they decided that what they would do was take pictures and scans of Sambonet's tumour and send it to consultants around the world to ask their advice. So again, to cut a long story short, the results come back was, yes, it can be done, but you will have to tell the patient that he only has a 25% chance of survival. Do you know what Sambonet's words were? I'm a dead man anyway. He knew he was dying. Anyway, they performed the operation, 14 hours in the surgery, and it was a success. They took the tumour away. He stayed with us for a couple of months in rehab. So he had to go home. So the, the, the crew put him in the Land Rover, a couple of volunteers, drove him to the point where he came out the jungle, and then parked the Land Rover up and walked for two days with him through the jungle back to his village. 
Remember, these are volunteers. They've all paid to be there for this. Anyway, about a mile from the village, a lady was walking down the path towards them. And the two volunteers, Mercy Ships volunteers, were a little bit behind because they wanted to let Sam Bonet go into the village himself. And this lady walked straight past Sam Bonet and then stopped when she saw the logo on the shirts and realised she'd just walked past her husband. She thought he died because she hadn't heard from him. But that's just one story. There's thousands and thousands of patient stories like that. And, and, and I will tell you some more shorter ones if you want to come and talk afterwards. And all this is done with one purpose and one purpose only, to follow that 2,000-year-old model of Jesus Christ bringing hope and healing to the world's forgotten poor. And San Bernay was just one of those forgotten poor. And that's what God commands us to do. That is our mission as a church. And remember that focus, that 2,000-year-old model. But not every denomination understands this. A magazine did an interview with the head of one of the major denominations in America a little while back, and this is a question that they asked. What will be your focus as the US, head of the U.S. church? And the answer was... Our focus needs to be on feeding people who go to bed hungry, on providing primary education to girls and boys, on healing people with AIDS, on addressing tuberculosis and malaria, on sustainable development. That ought to be our primary focus. Notice there was no mention of Christ in that at all. No mention. Or his great commission in that answer. All those things that he mentioned were worthy goals. I'm not saying that they're not, but when you compare those goals to God's, with God's mission, they actually look sickly. And I'll tell you why. In another book I read recently, there were remarks written in there by a preacher. He said, I couldn't believe what I read. The price to kill an enemy soldier in World War II was... £200,000. In more recent times, the price to destroy a life in recent wars is a staggering £500,000. In contrast with these astounding figures, the average cost to save a soul overseas evangelism was only £654. Even though we can never put a price tag on life of an individual, these figures should make us stop and think and actually weep with these people. Stop, think, and weep. All that money spent on killing people, and this lady only needed £650 so she could see again. That's me doing eye screening, she had awful cataracts, really awful cataracts. She couldn't see a thing, and these were the people around her bringing her to us. No other purpose or mission on earth even compares to the critical importance of the things that we do. So how do we support missions here in our respective churches? Many churches believe in supporting missions financially, physically, and prayerfully. William Carey, the great missionary of India, said to a group of supporters once, I will go down if you will hold the ropes. 
I'll go into the caves, I'll go into the place where you will never go, but you must hold the ropes. I'll go down if you hold on. All these volunteers on mercy ships, they'll go if you hold the ropes for them, if you pray for them, if you support them financially, whatever it might be. They will go if you hold on. We're all part of that team. Now, in Sweden, there is a congregation who asked for donations of white Lego bricks to be used to build a life-size statue of Jesus. The statue required about 20,000 bricks. The priest who began the project said that his plan was to pull the statue apart regularly before building it back up again. So why would he do this? Well, I believe he intended to tell people that Jesus had entrusted to all of us his ministry of building his body in the world. And we do that partly through missions. Our mission as a church is to follow that original battle plan Jesus gave his disciples in Act 1, which we read in our text. And I must stress the importance of being his witnesses here in South Sea as well, or for my case, in Plymouth. But also to the ends of the earth. The byline of Mercy Ship's organisation is bringing hope and healing to the poorest of the poor in some of the poorest nations in the world. Notice hope and healing. Yeah, the physical task of Mercy Ship's mission is to provide healing to some of the poor people who can't access safe, timely, or affordable health care. But in doing so, we also are bringing hope, like to these youngsters. By our work, we're trying to be the hands and feet of our Lord in going to the ends of the earth to show the love that he has for his world. And I'll just finish with this. I don't know if this is true because I've never been to heaven yet. So they don't know if this story is true. But just, let's just pretend it is. When our Lord returned to heaven, he was speaking to Gabriel. After discussing the ministry of redemption, Gabriel had a question for Jesus. He asked, And now that you've done all this for men, what plans have you made to carry the message of man's redemption to the ends of the earth? Jesus said, well, there's John, James, Peter, Andrew, and the others. That little group of men that I called and whom I have now commissioned to take the message to others. But Master, replied Gabriel, suppose James and John and Peter and Andrew and the others don't go. Suppose they stay where they are. What other plans have you made? Jesus replied, there is no other plan. I'm counting on them. Amen. Thank you.